fastest growing new religious movement in the Western world is not what you might think it is. It is, in fact, Santa Muerte, meaning holy death, the skeleton saint. In this podcast episode, we have a conversation with Andrew Chestnut, who is an author of a book on the subject, the first book produced in an English translation. We hope you enjoy this podcast and learn more about Santa Muerte. This is the Multi-Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Well, this is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters, and I am the host, John Moorhead, and my uh, my privilege today is to speak with Andrew Chestnut, and I don't know that he remembers, but he did a text interview with me years ago on another blog of mine, Theo Fantastique, but he's back today, and uh, uh, Andrew is Professor of Religious Studies at Virginia Commonwealth University, and he is the author of Devoted to Death, Santa Muerte, the Skeleton Saint, which we're going to be talking about today. This is the first academic study of this topic in English. Andrew, welcome to the program. John, thanks for having me. And yeah, I do remember many years ago, the text interview we did. Yes, it, it was. Yeah. And you came up on my radar again, just and I thought this needs to be explored in a, a conversation, not just text. Do you have any other uh, uh, academic and biographical details that might be relevant to, to put in here? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, well, actually the book is, is now, uh, in its fifth translation. Wow. The Ital the Italian just came out last month and actually, uh, on Thursday, I'm doing another podcast interview in Italian for the first time. Um, but yeah, in general, I'm a specialist in, uh, the religious field of Latin America. Also have a book on Pentecostal, the Pentecostal boom in Brazil and on religious competition, but, a religious competition in Latin America, but for the last 13 years now, it's basically been all Santa Muerte. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Well, it's an exciting topic. I have your book on order. I haven't been able to get a hold of it, but you pointed me towards uh, a website. Folks can look in the uh, podcast notes and description for a link to the book and the website and all kinds of material for follow-up. We'll only be able to scratch the surface today, but I always like to begin the conversations with asking my guests how they how, how did you develop a personal and academic interest in this research topic? Yeah, great question. Um, I was I was a couple of years into a book project on the Virgin of Guadalupe, who, of course, is the patron virgin of not only Mexico, but the entire Americas um, for my third book project. But frankly, um, I, I just wasn't finding a new angle a new perspective on her. And in this context of kind of research malaise, in March 2009, I see the news that the Mexican government had sent the Mexican army to the border with California and Texas to raise some 40 Santa Muerte altars. Now, I've been going to Mexico since the early 1980s. My ex is from Mexico City. My current wife is from the western state of Michoacan. And so I, I knew who Santa Muerte was. But when I saw that news, I had no idea 
why the Mexican army felt compelled to, or the Mexican government felt compelled to destroy her altars. So I did a quick Google search and I found out that the then administration of President Calderon of the conservative uh, National Action Party, the PAN Party, which is uh, closely related to the Catholic Church in Mexico, had fingered Santa Muerte as, as religious enemy number one, uh, as kind of a narco saint of the Mexican drug cartels, and was basically doing the bidding of the Catholic Church in in ridding her her altars on the uh, on the U.S. border. So I, I thought that was really intriguing. I also saw that the li academic literature in Spanish was very thin, and in English non-existent. So I took a couple of weeks to consult with colleagues, friends, family members, and decided that I would at least temporarily turn my back on Guadalupe and, and dive into uh, a new book project on Santa Muerte with the goal of publishing the first academic book in English, which I did. Um, the first edition of Devoted to Death, Santa Muerte, the Skeleton Saint came out in 2012. And then the second edition in 2017. And here I've got the, uh, this is the second edition. Oh, fantastic. So yeah, that was the catalyst, the news of, of the destruction of our altars in March of 2009. I, in reading some of the materials that you sent me a link to, it looks like other scholars have started to enter the fray. Is it is it becoming, I don't know, common probably isn't a good term, but are there more scholars who were interested? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I have I have a um, top-notch research partner, British anthropologist, Dr. Kate Kingsbury, who's at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, who has quickly became, become one of the leading authorities on Santa Muerte, published many articles. Um, there's a number of Mexican sociologists and anthropologists. So, yeah, it's there's I'm not the only one. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, articles that I, I read, this question is related to the lar largest section of the paper. And I know it's ambitious and we won't be able to hit all of it, but maybe some important highlights in terms of the cultural and religious origins. You know, this is a syncretic uh, religious movement. So what kinds of elements are involved? Right. Um, yeah, it's it's a real kind of melange or hybrid of, of the of disparate religious elements. Um, at the core, um, the great majority of devotees are Mexican, probably 70 to 75% of the estimated 12 million devotees are Mexican. And of course, Mexico has the second largest Catholic population on earth after Brazil, proportionally actually much larger, still about 77% of Mexicans are Catholic. So the great majority of Mexican devotees approach Santa Muerte from their kind of uh, Mexican folk Catholicism. And so a lot of the prayers, uh, the, the epic prayer to Santa Muerte is called the Santa Muerte Rosary, which is essentially the same rosary, Catholic rosary dedicated to the Virgin Mary, substituting Virgin Mary's name for, for Santa Muerte. Um, Devotees tend to approach Santa Muerte in a kind of reciprocal relationship, saying, okay, Santa Muerte, um, I will offer you two bottles of Don Julio tequila, top shelf tequila, 
um, if you help me find a new job within a couple of weeks. And if they have that new job within a couple of weeks, then of course they need to follow through on the promise they made. But of course, if Santa Muerte doesn't grant that miracle of a new job, they don't have to. So there's this kind of a contractual relationship um, that one also sees in folk Catholicism as well. Um, though in Mexico City in particular, which is one of the epicenters of the cult of Santa Muerte, um, there's a lot of uh, influence of Cuban Santeria. Um, quite a few Cubans who didn't flee Castro's revolution to Miami went to Mexico City. And so there's a fair amount of, um, of cross-hybridization with Santa Muerte at the, the historic uh, public shrine in the rough barrio, rough and tumble bar Mexico City barrio Tepito, um, I have noticed over my 13 years of visiting it, there's an increasing presence of the deities, or the, they're called orishas of Santeria, right there in the window niche with the life-size Santa Muerte. Um, uh, new age beliefs and practices are very popular in Mexico and across Latin America. Uh, so there's even a Santa Muerte votive candle called Santa Muerte chakras. Chakras. Um, so yeah, there's 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 a lot of different influences, but but at its core, for most Mexican devotees, it's kind of predicated on on folk Catholicism. And indeed, most Mexican devotees will tell you that they're still Catholic. It's it's fascinating in reading some of what you sent me, or what uh, the link uh, that you gave me there was uh, she, she, for my viewers and listeners are not going to be familiar with this at all. Santa Muerte, Saint Death or Holy Death. And in the West, we tend to think of uh, death as bad, uh, its finality, uh, whereas in other cultures, it's viewed differently. She is the embodiment of death, and it's not necessarily, not necessarily. in that kind of context. So can you help us understand, my audience tends to think of things in terms of theology and religion in the abstract, many times divorced from culture. Why is the cultural context and, and its understanding of death so important to understanding Santa Muerte? Yeah, it, it's complicated because, because, you know, we have to, we have to put this out there too, that the Catholic Church in Mexico strongly rejects, strongly condemns Santa Muerte. In fact, Almost on a weekly basis, there is some Mexican Catholic priest or bishop denouncing Santa Muerte as satanic. The theological um, rationale being that as a Christian, um, the last enemy that Christ vanquished on the cross uh, was death. And so to be actually venerating or worshiping the figure of death is exactly antithetical to what a Christian should be when Christ sacrifices life on the cross for eternal life, the possibility of eternal life of Christians. That's that's a theological argument. Um, but there's also um, religious competition. Pentecostalism, which my first book about is in Brazil, Pentecostalism has been surging across Latin America. And the great majority of converts to Pentecostalism are, are Catholics. 
And so this hasn't been, the Pentecostal boom hasn't been so accentuated in Mexico. Nonetheless, Mexico's down from historic 98, 99% population Catholic today to 77%. And the great majority of those left for Pentecostalism. So just when the Catholic hierarchy in Mexico is feeling besieged by the so-called Pentecostal invasion, now they have to deal with this heretical folk saint, um, which is not only the fastest growing new religious movement in Mexico, but in the entire Western world, with some estimated 12 million devotees in the space of only 20 years. So there's both, there's both the competition, theological, but going back to going back to your question, you know, there's no doubt that Mexico has a very unique uh, death culture. Um, and we see that not only in Santa Muerte, but Day of the Dead, which which we just uh, which was just passed on November 1st and November 2nd. There are other countries that participate, commemorate Day of the Dead, but nobody does it like Mexico does. And then there's this third kind of iconic cultural figure called uh, La Catrina Calavera, who is a um, skeleton dame uh, who who started out as a parody of the Mexican elite and such. Um, and, and she's kind of ubiquitous at Mexican restaurants. You even see her at Mexican, uh, at Santa Muerte altars and such. And I think... I think if we see the just um, immense popularity of the recent Pixar Disney movie Coco, which broke box office records in China, um, we, we see that you know Mexico really has something going on here with their unique death culture, and so there's a significant part of the population which views death as a natural part of the cycle of life, right? Not something where I think, you know, at least for the last century in the United States and maybe much of Western Europe, we see death as a spoiler. It spoils our American dream, right? And it needs to be, it needs to be hidden. It needs to be obliterated. We don't need to talk about it. But most Mexicans view death in a much more kind of holistic natural part of the cycle of birth and life. And indeed, there are more and more Americans and Western Europeans who are starting to rethink and adopt this kind of more holistic view of death as well. In fact, there's a movement called the Death Positive Movement, led mostly by uh, young women, young women professionals who work in the death industry, uh, such uh, primarily in the UK and the US. So related to that, just a little follow up there. We have the the luxury in the United States of keeping death in the closet, yeah, whether it's through the funeral industry or longer lifespans and this kind of a thing. Whereas in Mexican culture, it's an ever present reality through uh, narcotics, violence, and all kinds of things. Is that correct? Or, or is yeah, it, although is it I mean, we, we that? That's true, but we certainly saw a great amount of death and oh, dying yeah. with COVID, didn't right. we? About a million dead, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, we, we also have to contextualize her astronomical growth has incurred with in this context of, of terrible bad death in Mexico over the last 15 years or so in which the only country 
which surpasses Mexico in violent deaths in the last 15 years or so is Syria. Uh, Mexico's more than 300,000 uh, murders in the last 15 years. And so, you know, she this this saint of death also, also arises in this context of this internal drug war that uh, puts so many Mexican risks, the lives at risk. Another facet that was interesting to me is the there are many powerful women. Women have powerful roles in Santa Muerte. Why is that? Yeah, yeah, that's really fascinating. A um, couple of reasons. So yeah, she she's a female folk saint, um, a fierce female folk saint. And uh, another aspect of the horrific violence in Mexico is near pandemic of femicide. Uh, on average, 10 Mexican women are murdered every day mostly by boyfriends and husbands. And so there are a fair amount of female devotees. And I estimate female devotees probably outnumber male devotees by a ratio of perhaps two to one, um, who look to Santa Muerte for protection, for protection from uh, violent and abusive males. Um, on the other hand, since this there is no official church of Santa Muerte, there is no official legal recognition of the Santa Muerte movement in Mexico at this point, um, that opens it up for female leadership, unlike the Catholic Church and most Protestant churches, um, which deny uh, deny you know ordained being ordained pastors and priests. To, to females. So because of the kind of informality of, of this re new religious movement, uh, that opens a space for, for women. And yeah, much of the leading, uh, leading authorities, figures, uh, devotional figures in Mexico um, are definitely women. Uh, this we're talking about a, a movement that's largely based in Mexico, but it's not confined there. What kinds of geographical expressions does it have and, and where does it seem to be moving? Excellent question. After this, the approximately 70 to 75% of devotees in Mexico, um, United States is probably second in terms of devotees. Um, and they're not only Mexican immigrants and Mexican American folks. There's now lots of um, white and black Americans who are devotees. I curate a Facebook group of almost 5,000 devotees, and the majority are white and black Americans, most of whom don't speak Spanish, maybe haven't even been to, to Mexico. And there they are. There's even Europeans. There's There's been an Italian Santa Muerte Facebook group for 10 years now. There's several British groups. And so it's definitely gone global. And, oh, yeah. And so, yeah, United States would be second. And then the next uh, region with the greatest presence of devotees would be Central America, particularly these three countries, uh, El Salvador, Guatemala and Honduras. She is found now across the globe, but United States and those three Central American countries would be the main places. Um, and part of the reason for her rapid globalization is her, she goes public in 2001 in Mexico City. Prior to 2001, 
um, folks who were devotees practiced their devotion occultly or clandestinely. Um, and so she goes public in 2001, just as social media is starting to mushroom. And so Facebook, these Facebook groups, there's over a thousand different Santa Muerte Facebook groups have been a really important platform for her globalization. Cause you know, folks from across the globe can share their photos, ritual advice uh, and all that. Um, one of the leading, one of the most prominent members in the group that I curate is a Swedish devotee. That's am amazing. Has there been any, maybe it's too soon. Has there been any academic analysis of how the emphases in devotion uh, change as she moves out of the Mexican cultural context into others where they have different cultural dynamics? If not, that's okay. I do was just no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. No, they're really. I mean, this is this has happened so fast. Yeah. Um, that that no, there really is no specific literature, you know, focusing like solely on on non Latino devotees. But that definitely is a gap. <laughs> no, yeah. Hopefully, we'll we'll see papers forthcoming on that soon. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Now, now you mentioned uh, in your own how you came to be interested in this, and we see it quite a lot in the media where media treatments go for the sensationalistic that, you know, her devotion and imagery has been founded in association with drug violence and cartels and this kind of a thing. But that is a stereotype. It's just one expression, if I understand it correctly. So what kinds of demographic makeup do we have in her followers? Um, yeah, they're, they're mostly going to be working class folks. Um, disproportionately working class, disproportionately female. Um, uh, it's hard to gauge the age, but I would think probably younger than average, probably most devotees are, you know, 20s to 40s. Um, and disproportionately LGBTQ. That's really interesting. It, it would seem particularly among white and black American devotees. And it, it would seem to me that, you know, at least a good third or so uh, of folks are, are lesbian, gay, transgender, et cetera. And so then that begs the question of, you know, why this special appeal to LGBTQ folks? And this is because she's the saint that never discriminates. She accepts everybody because we all, we all meet our maker eventually, and she's seen as the cycle pump who, who takes you there. And so, you know, and even more so in Mexico, if you're lesbian, gay, transgender, at some point you probably felt discrimination because of your uh, sexual orientation. And uh, Santa Muerte doesn't care about that. She doesn't care what your profession, what your race, what your nationality, what your sexual orientation all comers are welcome. And of course, that contrasts particularly to a lot of Christian churches where aren't, you know, which aren't so accepting of, uh, of uh, homosexuality. So there's some level of self-critique there for those Christians and churches willing to, uh, to look in the mirror by way of Santa Muerte. But, uh, you know, just saying. Um, <laughs> so, just to, uh, so that we're not running away from the question of, of her association at times with drug cartels, she is amoral. And so she 
she fulfilled there. She sought out for a variety of reasons by different groups and she's not making value judgments. Right. So that's why she has appeal in a broad variety of contexts. Exactly. Right. Since she's not a canonized Catholic saint, but a folk saint, in theory, you can pretty much ask her for anything you want to. And she's not going to be judgmental. So, for example, if you're a narco and you want to make sure your shipment of, let's see, fentanyl, which is such a scourge in our country lately, that your fentanyl arrives safely to my hometown of Richmond, Virginia, well, then you can ask Santa Muerte to bless your shipment of fentanyl. Um, I'm not the one to say if she will or I'm not, right? I'm not a devotee. But in theory, that's not a type of petition that you should be making of Catholic saints. However, however, I do know that sometimes those petitions are made, and particularly to the most popular Catholic saint, both in Mexico and among Latinos in the United States, and that is St. Jude Thaddeus, patron of lost causes. He also has a contingent of followers among both marginalized youth in Mexico and organized crime. So uh, we do. I do know that those type of petitions are made to him, um, which is obviously even more, <laughs> more of a worry to the Catholic Church since not only is he their own, he's their most popular, popular saint as well. But again, in theory, it's easier to make these type of petitions to folk saints um, because they are amoral and, and don't need to conform to... Um, Christian ethical standards. Can you speak to the uh, the ways in which devotees are, I don't know if worship is the right word or not, the, the rituals, shrines, altars, temples, these kinds of things. And since it does, it's not associated with an institution, doesn't have the dogma, I would assume that, uh, for lack of a better term, theological constructs are, are minimized or de-emphasized at least. Yeah, you know, with with some 12 million devotees, there's a lot of variety now. Um, there are folks who are very dogmatic. There are even a few who say, you know, Santa Muerte worship should really be only reserved for folks who are Mexican or of Mexican descent. I mean, this should be a closed system. This should not be open to, to gringos and others. That's a small, small minority, but that's out there. Um, there are others, even white and black Americans, who try to be very orthodox in a Mexican way in the way they approach Santa Muerte as a folk saint, as most Mexican uh, devotees would be. There's other folks who have more of a Wiccan or neo-pagan approach and connect her with the old world goddesses as such. Um, so there's there's a there's a big diversity, but keeping in mind that the great majority of devotees are Mexican, again, so many of the rituals and prayers and ways of approaching her, again, are, are really based on folk Catholicism. Um, the votive candles that are used, um, the statues, the large mm, life-size statues usually receive a monthly wardrobe change, just as happens to statues of the Virgin Mary in Mexico. Um, so yeah, one really can't understand the way in which she is, is worshiped without understanding the world of 
of Mexican folk Catholicism. But again, lots of diversity, you know, some folks mixing her with their Cuban Santeria, others having new age vibes going on. So much diversity. Oh, one indicator of her popularity is sales of her votive candles. How does that compare to sales of uh, the Virgin Mary candles in Mexico? <clears throat> that, that I can't tell you because, because most of the shops in Mexico, they're usually called um, yerbarias or sometimes um, botanicas. Most of the shops that sell her uh usually specialize in more esoteric and occult figures. So, so the Virgin Mary Guadalupe, for example, is mostly going to be sold at shops that really only sell Catholic saints. So, so I can't, I mean, I can tell you at these esoteric shops in Mexico, Santa Muerte is responsible, many of them for over half of the sales. Um, but but I don't have, you know, I don't have similar sales figures for Guadalupe. Um, but there's no doubt in, in the space of just two decades, Santa Muerte has become one of the three giants of the Mexican religious landscape, along with the Virgin Guadalupe and St. Jude, patron of the lost causes. They're the three giants today. Uh, I recently had an opportunity to have an advanced look at a forthcoming academic volume uh, on how various religions around the world responded to the COVID-19 pandemic. How did the pandemic impact Santa Muerte followers? Yeah, actually, um, my research partner, Dr. Kate Kingsbury, and I authored um, a recent paper on that, which kind of went viral, at least <laughs> at least for the social sciences. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're quickly, they developed in Mexico City a, a specific Santa Muerte um, COVID protection votive candle. I wish I, I had one here, but I don't. Um, and yeah, there's no doubt that in this context, I think almost three quarters of a million Mexicans died also from COVID. And so in this context, before the vaccine was developed, and half of Mexicans living in poverty and and most Mexicans not having access to to um, to standard health care. Santa Muerte steps in as a powerful figure for both protection from covid and then healing from it. So so, yeah, candles were developed. Um, people were developing new prayers specifically for protection, healing from covid. And, you know, we don't have any hard data on her growth, but there's no doubt that Santa Muerte grew even more uh, during COVID uh, because of this. Because, you know, many folks felt like, well, you know, they don't have recourse to, there's no vaccine yet. Um, you know, what are we going to do? We really only can look to the supernatural for protection and, and healing. So no doubt that 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 was a that boom time for the growth of Santa Muerte during COVID. Uh, one of the other things that struck me as I read some of the material on it is this idea of good death. Mm -hmm. uh, why is the sanctification of death and this idea of good death and such an important facet 
of devotion to the folks that you you've touched on a little bit before, but just to make that more explicit. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And you yourself alluded to it before. I mean, one of one of the translations into English of her name is holy death. And this concept of having a good death or a holy death, you know, is, is a very old Catholic one in which you hope to to die at home, surrounded by your loved ones, hopefully be administered the last rites by a priest. And so in a Mexico, again, that has been beset by so much bad death with the interminable narco wars, there's a lot of folks out there who really yearn for a good death who don't want to be shot down like a dog in the street. And so, so the very origin of her name goes back to that, that ancient Catholic uh concept of wanting a good or holy death. And um, interestingly, in my in my research interviews, that doesn't usually come out, obviously, in a lot of interviews, but it certainly did when I did research down in Argentina. There's another um, death saint in Argentina who's a male death figure called San La Muerte. And in so many interviews with devotees of San La Muerte in Argentina, that kind of stories about having a good death, either people desiring their own or family members, really was salient there. So yeah, no doubt that kind of paradox of a Mexico lately of so much bad death, folks yearning for for a good, decent death and (laughs) reflected in Santa Marte's very name, translated as holy death. Well, you've referred to Santa Marte as the fastest growing new religious movement in the Americas and in the West. How do you, how do we quantify that? How do you come to that conclusion? And do you have a feel for how that growth compares to other religious movements in the same geographical regions? Yeah. I mean, this is, we don't have any hard figures. I wish we did. We don't have any um, good Pew or Gallup surveys, for example. And so this estimate is my own best guesstimate based on 13 years of research um, so, you know, I could be off by a few million or, or whatever until, until we are able to quantify these numbers with a good, a good solid survey. However, yeah, I'm confident that there is no other new religious movement that has emerged in the last two decades anywhere in the Western world that has anywhere the size of the following. If we're to measure that also in terms of um, sales of paraphernalia, presence of paraphernalia, Facebook groups, et cetera. Uh, I'm very confident in making that assertion that, and and again, just like it's estimated that some 80% of new businesses started in the United States fail within a few years. It's basically the same with new religious movements. The great majority also have to shutter their their temple doors within a few years because there's not enough followers. And so if we know about Christianity, Islam and Hinduism, they're the grand exceptions, as is Santa Muerte so far. What kinds of uh, aspects contribute to this popularity? I mean, as just in my brief look at some of the material that you made available to me, I mean, she's dealing with a, a facet at the center of, of all of our lives, and that is the end of our lives. She she doesn't have dogma, so she, you know, you're, you're free to kind of take her and add elements from your own culture and religious background. What, what kinds of facets are making this growth possible? Yeah, I think the real engine driving her growth, particularly in Mexico, 
is her reputation for being the speediest and most efficacious miracle worker. Mm. I've heard so many stories about folks who used to be devotees, for example, of St. Jude, again, the patron of lost causes, and would tell me, oh, you know, I'd spent three months asking St. Jude uh, for a new job, and he just ignored me. I never got the new job. And then my friend told me, oh, why don't you try the bony lady? Um, she, she works really fast with the miracles. And so I, I prayed to the bony lady. I got a little statue. I prayed to the bony lady. And within a week, I had that new job. And so there's countless stories that of, of how fast and how efficacious she is. And because again, these are working class folks. And so they're looking, they're looking for supernatural sucker that's going to help them with their daily, with their daily difficulties, right? Be it financial, health, um, love, protection, et cetera. And so she's seen as the speediest and most efficacious saint uh, on the Mexican religious landscape today. Um, I think that that dynamic also works for, for non-Mexican devotees, but I think it's probably even more accentuated in Mexico. I have subscribed to your email on Santa Morte for a while, and I've read many of these stories that you put out, and it, it's fascinating. And the interesting thing is that uh, many Christians would bristle at this kind of a thing, that that just can't be. What's, what's interesting to me is within our own religious tradition, we view those kinds of stories as appropriate and confirmatory, but in other religious tradition, it's out of bounds. But I think it just it pushes us to say, look, people are finding meaning and significance and, and they, they believe they're getting answers to prayer. And this is something that crosses even into something like Santa Muerte. Is that correct? Well, yeah. And I can I can make the same argument. Again, my first work was on Pentecostalism in Latin America. And it's the same argument for Pentecostalism. Is Pentecostalism has been flourishing in Latin America and the global South in general. It's because a lot of folks find that Pentecostalism is providing powerful tools for them to deal with and, and sometimes overcome really difficult life circumstances. So Santa Muerte is not alone with that, but definitely stands out for having the reputation uh, of being very efficacious with that. Uh, you mentioned that uh, she is uh, often literally demonized by the Catholic Church. I'm assuming this is the same for Protestant traditions as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, there's an increasing number of um, evangelical Protestants who uh, who have YouTube channels or blogs, also um, echoing the same type of. Um, rebukes that you hear from the Catholic Church. And even even uh, recently, an American evangelist went into uh, Tepito, where the historic first public shrine is in Mexico City, to, to confront the godmother and owner of the shrine and <laughs> barely escaped with his hide because you know, people were just incensed about him. Oh, what, you know, this, this gringo missionary coming in, how dare him? Um, I think there's this, you know, YouTube video of that too. So um, yeah, yeah, evangelicals are definitely part of the denunciation. And, and in fact, the first full length Mexican film featuring Santa Muerte was made by Paco del Toro, 
an evangelical, he might be Advent, Adventist, evangelical Mexican filmmaker um, showing Santa Muerte as a miracle worker, but a demonic miracle worker. Yeah. Yes, she delivers on the miracles, but just as Satan does, right? Yeah, it, it's unfortunate uh, working within evangelicalism that many times uh, we demonize, especially certain religious traditions that make us very uncomfortable. And I can think of uh, Wicca and paganism, and I'm, I'm, you know, as you note, Santa Muerte. But with this question, for those Christians who have the capacity to be self-critical and to look at a tradition like Santa Muerte in that light, what takeaways might we be open to about shortcomings of Catholicism, Protestantism, and so on that are, are making Santa Muerte, uh, religious competition is a reality. It, it's, it's out there. What is it that makes her so appealing that is also critical of some of the shortcomings of Catholicism and Protestantism? Yeah, well, I think, I think, um, again, I'm not a theologian, sure. and oh, yeah. you're kind of asking me to, to navigate waters that are maybe, they're probably beyond my purview. But um, I, I think the perspective of death as, as the enemy, or perhaps even satanic, um, maybe resonates less and less, particularly with younger folks. Um, I teach a popular new course on death in the afterlife and world religions. And yesterday we we're talking about near-death experiences. And one of the interesting aspects of near-death experiences is a lot of folks who've had them report this very positive experience. And for folks who tend to be more religious, that it was that it was kind of very spiritual, but but it wasn't necessarily, it didn't, even if they were Christians, you know, there wasn't a specific Jesus, there were there weren't kind of specific Christian elements. And it led many of them, I, I think, to rethink their their brand of Christianity. Um, so again, I I'm not a theologian. This is beyond my purview. But um, I don't know. Some churches and denominations might want to rethink um, their stance on death. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I, I I put you on the spot, and but you don't have to be a theologian to look at a a extremely popular religious and cultural phenomenon and say there are, there are some takeaways, whether theologically or otherwise, for those who can be self-critical. So I appreciate you, you venturing some, some thoughts. Oh, right. And even more obviously, as, as we were alluding to before, is you know the non-judgmental attitude. Everybody's accepted. But obviously, obviously one can understand that within a Christian context, I mean, not everything can be accepted because some things obviously are at odds with, with Christian morality. Right. Right. Uh, is there, I, I, sometimes I like to give uh, my guests an opportunity. What is the, the takeaway that you, you wish I would have asked or something you'd like to contribute? It didn't come through in the questions of it asked you previously. Mm, I think, you know, I organized my book by the, colors of her cult. Uh, there, are, there are important colors. She has a series of votive candles that are all colored. 
For example, the purple votive candle is for healing and health. The red is for love, passion, and lust. And by the way, the red one is the best seller in Mexico, particularly among women who think maybe their boyfriends or husbands are cheating on them and they need to uh, do a, a love bind uh, on their boyfriend and bring them back humbled at their knees. Um, there's the controversial black candle, which is both for supernatural protection, but also for vengeance. If you've got a rival or enemy that you want to take out, the black candle is, is the proper one. But the conclusion of my book is the seven colored candle, which is also known as the seven, the candle of seven powers of Santa Muerte of seven powers. And that's for folks who are looking for a miracle, not just one miracle, but miracles on several fronts. And that would be many of us, right? Who there's not just one favor, supernatural favor that we're, that we're after there. There's several. Um, interestingly, <laughs> Because it's seven colors, it's kind of become also an LGBTQ flag thing. It wasn't created or designed that way, but many LGBTQ devotees have kind of reappropriated it and repurposed it that way. But that captures, that seven color candle captures the fact that she is a multitasking, multi-purpose saint, when in contrast to many Catholic saints who are known for usually one or type one or two type of of supernatural favors like saint anthony if you you have lost objects or such but santa muerte is the multitasking saint you can ask for anything and that seven color seven power candle i think uh captures that and symbolizes that better than anything and that's also another reason for her uh her very fast growth so as a folk saint, she's got a broader skill set than some Catholic saints. <laughs> a broader repertoire, exactly. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is just fascinating. We've only been able to, to scratch the surface, but uh, well, again, the link, folks, look in the uh, podcast description, and they'll find a link to the book and other resources. And uh, I really appreciate you, uh, Andrew, carving out the time and coming to have this conversation. No, it's been a pleasure. And I also thank you for the for the very intelligent questions. These interviews are always made much easier um, when the hosts have done their research and you certainly have done your research. So I very much appreciate that, John. Well, thanks, Andrew. Well, again, this is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters. Please look at the program description and, and click on the website and you'll find uh, the work of Andrew and other scholars on Santa Muerte. And uh, once again, thanks to everyone for watching and listening until the next episode.